Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter. Big, big show today. We've got a lot of great guests on the show. We've got Daniel Cormier, who is challenging Stipe Miocic for the heavyweight championship of the world this weekend at UFC 252. And, of course, we have the champ himself, Stipe Miocic, joining the show. We have Corey Anderson on the show. We've got Sean O'Malley on the show. And we've got Jasmine Jasadavishis, who's fighting for the Women's Strawweight Championship in CFFC tonight on UFC Fight Pass. And, of course, I'm joined... As always, by my co-host, Bazooka Joe Valtellini, who's kicking it at Bazooka Kickboxing, which is now open for business at 680 Progress Road in Scarborough. Feel free to drop in and visit Joe. That's it. Basically, don't leave the gym now, which I guess is a positive thing. But yeah, Bazooka Kickboxing, we're up, we're open, and we've been uh, busy. So I'm just happy to see that uh, the the COVID-19 didn't uh, take people away from kickboxing and they're still interested and excited to be back. So I'm excited to be teaching again as well. Daniel Cormier and Stipe, I'm really excited to speak with them because this is a uh, such a big, big fight. It's very rare that you hear a fighter say, this is my last fight. The last time I can think of that in a title fight is when Dan Henderson fought Michael Bisping. He said, this is going to be my last fight. And uh, he did knock Bisping down in the first round, but went on to lose that fight by decision. But uh, yeah, Cormier, I think, I mean, he's a small favorite. And I think the reason for that, Joe, is because when you look at the last two fights, if you look at the overall duration of time, I think that Cormier was winning about 75, 80% of the time. Yep. Yeah, and that's it. You have to take that into account. I mean, it was one little body shot, well, many body shots after, but it was just a little late. So I think, obviously, if you're Daniel Cormier, you're a highest level of professionalism and he's probably been working and drilling all the defense to the body shot so with that you hear him wanting to wrestle more in this fight and change things up mix it up so i kind of agree with him being that slight favorite yeah i uh, i'm with you on that i think that uh he should be the slight favorite and um i mean he'll, he's a year older right so he's gonna be 41 they fought three times in the last three years. Stipe has actually had three straight fights with Daniel Cormier. He hasn't had any other fights with other opponents. So these guys must know each other inside and out. What do you think is going to be the big difference in this fight, Joe? Like, who, whoever wins this fight, what are they going to have done better than their opponent? Well, I think a big key is, one, what I really liked and what I saw was it looked like Stipe is cutting a lot of weight for this. He looked lean. He looked strong. He looked athletic. And I think it's Stipe to kind of just keep his distance and use his boxing. I think using long-range boxing, not overthrowing punches, kind of keeping Cormier at range with long punches will make it really difficult for DC to kind of crush in, rash, uh, rush in, and try to you know close that distance really quick. Where, again, I think DC has to use that pressure, be able to strike to try to clinch up and wrestle a lot more. Um, and I think he has to fight MMA style, try to push Stipe against the cage, Kind of, you know, use his takedowns, his ground and pound on top. Once DC gets on top, he's dangerous. So I think he's got to use the cage, use some, you know, pressure and wall and mall style and get his ground and pound going. But it's going to be tough. Stipe, to me, the key is using that range and that boxing and uh, trying to keep the fight at range. Yeah, I think that uh, you make a lot of great points there. And when you when you just look at um, how, how important this fight is going to be in the grand scheme of things at heavyweight, like... I actually think it would be really interesting to see what happens if Cormier wins, like what direction they go in with the belt. So let's say Stipe is out of the picture 
let's say he decides I'm going to take some time off and I'll fight the whatever. I'll fight the next champion. And they make a championship fight. Who do you think that that championship fight should be? Well, I right away I got to put Francis Nagano. Um, and honestly, I would think someone... I know they fought, but like, who would you put? Maybe like a Curtis Blades? I'd put Derek Lewis in there. I mean, I said this after Derek the fight Lewis, this past true. weekend. You know, Lewis, he fought for the title against Cormier. And he's he's just such a big fan favorite. He's never fought he's never fought uh, Francis. Oh, sorry, he has the win over Francis. He's never fought Stipe, but he has the win over Francis. You can build a good storyline there. I just don't see why you would have Blades fight him right away. Like I feel like putting Blades in there against Francis again so soon after the last loss, you'd almost be doing a disservice to Blades. But I know Blades wants to get in that pic- that title picture, but that basically yeah. that road has to go through Francis, like you mentioned. I just don't think, uh, to be honest with you, many guys right now have a good chance against Francis. I think Francis right now is at uh, his power, his aggression, his strength. I think he's too much for anyone in the division. So I think whoever is going to fight him it doesn't have a chance right now. I honestly, I feel that he's that um, athletic, that strong, that powerful, that he's going to put anybody out. I genuinely believe that. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, but then, then again, if it's Francis and Stipe again, like I can see that that fight going the same way that it did the first time. I don't know. I, I honestly think Nagano has really improved since then. Understood his positioning. I don't think he's going to be as easy to take down. I think he's a little bit more patient. I think you know Stipe won't be able to take those types of big shots from Francis anymore. I don't know. I'm curious to see it. I would really like to see a really strong wrestler with him now. Like the last fight with uh, Rosenstruck. You can't stand with Francis at all. That There's not a heavyweight that can stand with him. So you need someone who could mix it up well and be able to at least take a shot because you're going to get hit against Francis no matter what. Even if you go in and you shoot and try to wrestle with him, he's just, as soon as you grab his leg and try to shoot a double or a single, he's just punching your head right away with those big mitts and that power. Very few are going to be able to handle it. And we got to remember also that Blades was actually favored against him last time. Like People people mm-hmm. thought Blades was going to win that fight, right? So and Blades is still an awesome fighter. But uh, I don't know. I mean, Derek Lewis and uh, and Francis, because that first fight was so awful, I'd love to see them run it back. I mean, Derek Lewis said he could barely stand up during that fight because his back was killing him. He's had the back surgery since. He's become a little bit leaner. He says he wants to start walking around at 240. He said he wants to do his next fight in about December, which would, would line up well in terms of the timeline uh, for this. Uh, should, um, again, uh, Cormier end up winning, I think they'll probably try to put together a, a, a title fight sooner rather than later. Uh, but that being said, I, it's hardly a slam dunk that uh, Cormier is going to win this fight. Stipe is really tough. And I keep saying this, and people, most people are not agreeing with me on this subject. And you might not agree with me also. But I think that this narrative that the winner of this fight is the best heavyweight in UFC history is flawed. And I think that Stipe, win or lose, is the best heavyweight in UFC history. And I'm willing to die on this hill because I think that if you look at the two resumes... Side by side, the Stipe, even with a loss, a second loss to Cormier, still has a way better resume at heavyweight than Cormier does. Uh, and that's not a knock on Cormier. I think that if Cormier wins this fight, then he enters the top five all-time conversation to walk away as the heavyweight champion, uh, two-time heavyweight champion. He's a two-time lightweight champion. Well, you know, that speaks for itself. But in terms of the greatest heavyweight in UFC or MMA history, and then people, when I mention MMA history, everybody plays the Fedor card. I, I don't even think you should compare the, like the modern-day UFC to Pride. It's very difficult to compare. Yeah, it's too different. With the USADA, let's be honest, it's different. Different types of fights. And the involvement, like, you have to think, maybe, like, 
a lot of the newer heavyweights today were able to out grapple or maybe out wrestle Fedor in his prime, which would have been tough. But I mean, I just think it's a different game. And I agree with you that one, I think Stipe winning would put him as probably the greatest heavyweight. But I'm, I'm with you that I think DC winning this is more about DC's legacy as, you know, one of the greatest to do it, you know, because of his, his light heavyweight accomplishments as well. So, yeah, I wouldn't, really, I really wouldn't put, I mean, on paper, it sounds like it, but I don't think DC would necessarily be the greatest of all time. So I actually agree with you. Yeah, well, looking at the resumes, like you've got Stipe. First off, the, the big check mark for Stipe is not just the three title defenses, the most in UFC history, but winning, beating Francis in like a five-round fight and pretty much dominating Francis outside of that first round. I mean, everybody looks at Francis right now as the guy, the scariest guy, and he was the scariest guy in the UFC when, he, when Stipe fought him. Stipe was like a two-to-one underdog against Francis at the time or, or somewhere along those lines. Um, everybody thought that, that Francis was going to win that fight and become the new champion and be the champion for a long time. Stipe ends up winning that fight. That's a huge, that's a huge mark right there in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, his heavyweight resume. But then you, you look at it, he also has a win over DC. Let's not forget that. Like Losing to yeah. DC a second time doesn't mean he didn't beat him that one time. He's beaten Fabricio uh, Verdum. He uh, avenged his loss to Junior Dos Santos. Um, he uh, has beaten um, Andre Arlovsky. Um, Roy Nelson, you know, his, his resume is, is quite vast in terms of heavyweight, uh, Overeem, you know, there, there are a lot of really good wins on that record. Yeah. Now, are you looking, uh, have you seen a lot of the countdowns and stuff on Stipe? Are you picking up that he's a little bit trimmer, a little bit lighter in weight for this fight? Well, yeah, he told me that himself. I think he's probably going to walk in and in the two thirties like he did last time. Um, and he said to me basically like he doesn't monitor his weight. Uh, I mean, who knows how honest he's being about this, but he knows he's going to make weight no matter what. So he just does what he does. He does his diet. He does his training. And like whatever he wakes up at that morning is what he's going to weigh. Yeah, because he looked super lean to me. I mean, just seeing him, he looked significantly smaller, like more athletic looking, which I mean, could be in part of the strategy of being able to move a little bit more maybe and trying to keep his distance. But he looks lean. He looks trim. Yeah, undoubtedly. I think that that is... uh... Something that you can't take away from Stipe. Stipe is always in pretty peak shape, but maybe that's what he's trying to do. Maybe he's trying to, like you said, trying to be a little bit more svelte and uh, faster on his feet. You know, one guy that uh, DC did train with for this uh, particular uh, fight is uh, is Corey Anderson, who I have on yep. later on the show. And Corey was saying that he's walking around at around 230, 235, so he's actually a really good training partner for, for Cormier. Um, because he's probably a very similar size to Stipe at his you know normal walk around weight. Yeah, a little bit of different styles, right? You would think Anders, uh, Corey Anderson is a little bit better wrestler than Stipe, maybe more wrestling based. I don't know about how much better he'd be as a wrestler, but he's up there for sure. Yeah, and um, and you know, good boxing, but not as good as Stipe. You know, yeah, I was so, gonna say Stipe's boxing is definitely a little bit sharper. Yeah, but and that's not I think Stipe's hands Anderson. are awesome. No, yeah. Stipe's hands might be the best ever at heavyweight. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Just in terms of technical striking. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, I'm curious. I mean, I know this is a a lot of times for the trilogies. I'm not as excited. Like, I wasn't overly excited for the Max Holloway Volkanovsky, but I'm actually really excited for this one. Yeah. Well, that one's not a trilogy just yet, but it might be. Might be one day. But, yeah. But I wasn't excited to see the second fight. You know, I'm just not excited. I wasn't excited for that as much. And I know they're talking about a third one. I'm just like... I'm not there yet, but these guys, for some reason, I think in the heavyweights, it's just it's, I'm interested in it. Were you as excited for the uh, Charles Oliveira Nick Lentz trilogy fight as you are this one? 
I don't know. I think I was slightly more on this one. Oh, yeah, this one? Yeah, me too. I think I would lean this slightly, one. Slightly, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, How I... many trilogies have there been? I, for some weird reason, I have a feeling you know this stat. This is an Aaron Bronstetter stat for some weird I, reason. I don't know off the top of my head. Oh, I, I mean, there's, okay. there's JDS versus Kane. I mean, that's... The, the best heavyweight trilogy today is that is that trilogy might not be once this weekend passes, but uh, yeah, JDS versus Kane. That's um, the only one I could. What other ones? Nick Lenz, Charles Oliveira. Oh, uh, okay, oh, oh I've got a good one for you. Frank Edgar uh, versus Gray Maynard. That's a great trilogy. Oh, that that's that was one of the best. That might be the best trilogy ever. That one, the best one. Yeah, I think so, too. What about, hold on a second, I think I got one. Uh, Was it two or three? Was Sam Stout versus Fisher? Oh, that might be a trilogy, too. And that would have probably been one of the best ones. I'm pretty sure that was a trilogy. I'm going to look that up. I think that was a trilogy. Because I remember Sam Stout and I were talking about it. Because I was saying, I was like, that could have been, like, almost Hall of Fame worthy as a trilogy fight. Are you saying you think Sam Stout is going to get in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, you're right. It's a trilogy. I was just throwing it out there. Yeah, and I think all three got fight of the night, or two of the three, or all three got fight of the night. Yeah, that's a good one. Oh, yeah. um, I've got another great one. I think this was a trilogy. Uh, Gilbert Melendez versus Josh Thompson. That's an awesome trilogy. Yeah, that would have been in multiple organizations, though, right? No, just Strikeforce. Just in Strikeforce, okay. Yeah. That was a great hmm. trilogy. That's That one had some all-time classics. Oh, uh, they're was, all coming was, out now. Was Eddie Alvarez Chandler a trilogy, or is that just two? That was just two. I don't know. I My Bellator history ain't that good. You should ask uh, ask Malcolm Gordon next time you see him. He'll he'll tell you all the time. Oh, I know. I was talking about it the other day. He's actually watching a few more now. Hey, look He's at watched, that. Uh, he watched his buddy Laramie do well on the Dana White Contender Series, so he was happy to see that. So he's yeah, been watching. He's slowly watching. Yeah. TJ made some history. First Canadian to win on the show and first Canadian to get a contract on the show on the same night. No less. Yeah. And some of these – I don't know, man. Uh, this Dana White Contender Series, they're putting Canadians against some really tough guys. Like, these they're Canadians not are good. Any easier fights. good Canadians they've got in there. But it's it's tough to like – when you put in someone who's really good and to look exciting, you know, to get a contract because the whole point of the show is you got to be spectacular, right? Uh, yeah. It's hard to finish That's someone gonna be really tough. experienced. That's what's going to make it tough for uh, Anthony Romero in two weeks because he's so technical and so tactical – He's not like a crazy finisher, right? So, I mean, he could dominate his opponent. Who knows? I don't know much about his opponent as, as we sit here right now. But uh, his, the way that he approaches the game is very, very methodical. And uh, that doesn't necessarily work on the Dana White Contender Series. Yeah, it's all about action. And that's why it's, it's very risky to go on the show. I know, I know a lot of people get really excited. But for me personally, when it comes down to like my fighters going into it, it's risky. If you have a bad night and you don't perform well, and one mistake, and you lose, like, why would they want to call you back? Oh, the kid who lost in the Dana White. So it just takes maybe, you know, totally restricts you from getting back into the UFC, or it just, you know, you're not exciting, and you don't get the contract. They don't want you. So it's a lot of risk in, in my eyes. I know a lot of people have lost, come back, won again, and then got a contract. I know there's those always those uh, exceptions, but it's just a lot of risk put on one fight. And one thing that uh, a lot of people don't know, in fact, has never been reported anywhere, and I'm going to report it right here, right now, for you, Joe. All when right. The, when the UFC was going to go to Saskatoon, Laramie was going to be on that card. He was going to get signed. Oh, okay. And then they Damn. said, because the card moved, they said, well, you know, we don't have a fight for you, but we'd love for you to be on the contender series. And, of course, he wants to be in the UFC, so he took the fight. I'm just, I'm happy to see 
one, he deserves it because he's put the time in, he's put the effort, he's put the fights outside of the octagon. And what's the scariest thing about him, he's 22 years old. Unbelievable. 22 years old. That's unbelievable. So I'm just excited. I think he's got so much talent. He's fought, uh, I think he even fought Charles Jordan in TKO as well. Mm -hmm. So he's, 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 he's up there. So, I mean, this is kid, 22 years old, is just spectacular. Yeah, for sure. I think that uh, I think that uh, he's got a really bright future. You know, in terms of the Canadians in the uh, in combat sports right now, I thought he was the top prospect, unsigned prospect in the world before. You know, before obviously he got signed this week. Um, I'm doing a series actually on uh, five Canadians to watch. It's called the Fighting Five. It's on TSN.ca if you want to check it out. And it's five unsigned Canadians, uh, the top un- the top five unsigned Canadians uh, right now. Um, in the world, uh, in terms of MMA, and unfortunately, I don't have any of your guys on there, Joe. But uh, they're gonna have to they're convince. Coming. They're gonna have to convince me. They're coming. They're yeah. coming. We're getting there. But we've got the, the first two have been revealed. It's TJ Laramie and uh, and Jasmine who's fighting tonight, and uh, then next week uh, we're gonna have reveal another one. Okay, and they're uh, and you said they're not Canadian. They can no, be from no, they're anywhere Canadian. in the world. No, no, Canadians. Okay. Top five Canadians that are unsigned to a major promotion. Okay. Do you have any guesses as to the other three? Uh, major Bellator counts as a major, obviously. Yeah, and so does PFL. Yeah. So does PFL. Ryzen. So does One Championship. Although there's not a lot of Canadians in those, but regional hmm. scene. One regional scene that hasn't been signed. Hmm. Did you put? Uh, no, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of the main events on any of the local shows. Um, I'm assuming maybe a Parabellum kid, someone from Parabellum. Well, I don't want to reveal them, uh, but if you guess them, okay. I'll, I'll tell you whether you're right or not. Uh, but I'm not going to just I'm, just I'm not going to just give away the goods here, Joe. You're going to have I'm to work sure, for I it. Know, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think <laughs> now. I have high standards, so it's really difficult for me to see uh, who I think in that. So some unsigned. I mean, the problem community. is two of them are from out west, right? So you might not have ever seen them. Okay, but I should have known the name. Hmm. Nope. Drawing blanks. I didn't. I, I didn't want to do an. I didn't want to bring in an eastern bias. You know. Being from Toronto, yeah. people out west always think that we think Toronto's the the you know the the capital of Canada. You know the the whatever they say, I've, the center of the universe, as they always call it. But you know, I none of them are from Toronto technically. None of the none of the five. So I might have to, I might have problems then. I can but tell I know you. Out west, I can tell you. I'm off just here. hoping. Okay, I'm just excited out west. I heard because uh, Malcolm uh, Gordon is good friends with Hakeem Dewadu, so mm-hmm. uh, he's an out west guy, and I heard he's potentially coming up soon. Not potentially, it's signed. It's signed. Yeah, oh, UFC okay. 254. All right. Against uh, Habib's buddy uh, with the beard, whose name I'm drawing a blank on for whatever uh, reason now. I mean, all of them. All the guys from Dagestan have beards. Yeah. So uh, I don't like that for him. Zubaira. Like Zubaira Tuhuga, if I just remembered it now. I don't like it. You got to put him with another striker, somewhere you can like be excited. Zubaira's a good striker, though. People people talk about that. Zubaira's a good striker. He's a good wrestler, too. But he's, he's a not, great he's not, wrestler. He's not a right? Habib type, though. He's, he, he, he starts with his striking. He uses his striking to set up the wrestling, but he's not like a necessarily a, a, a guy who's just going to grapple you to death. He, he likes to strike, and he's actually a very sharp striker. Uh, with good power. Uh, so I actually think that the fight will be contested mostly on the feet. Okay. I hope so because I think that's where, like, if you want to get Hakeem to shine, and that's where you put him. Let someone strike his nasty low kicks. So I think that's where you want to, how you build him properly. Yeah, I spoke to Hakeem last week, and Hakeem's like, I'm going to kill this guy. So, But Hakeem is like, oh, the yeah. most, he's the most intense guy on the planet. So mean. That's why he's that's mean. That's why he's mean, Hakeem. Hakeem. That's right. Yeah, it's always the best. I love watching his interviews and stuff because he's always got that mean mugging. He's serious. 
I like him. I'm really into uh, his persona that he brings. He's one of my good. he's one of my three fight or flight guys where I've interviewed where I was interviewing them and I the the intensity was too high or something was going on where I just couldn't think properly and I had to like pull out of the interview. Uh oh, yeah, that's happened. He's, it's happened three times to me. Who's the other two? One was Ed Herman. I don't know why it wasn't super intense or anything, but for some reason my brain shut down when I was interviewing Ed Herman. And, and the other one, uh, who I've interviewed several times, and I never had this, but on one instance, it was Greg Hardy. Because Greg Hardy was like, he had this demonic look in his eye when he was talking about how he was going to, like, you know, badly hurt his opponent. And he was smiling, and I, I don't know what it was. Something about that made me freaked out. So I kind of, my brain kind of stopped working, and I wrapped the interview. It happens. Sometimes and, and, for and me with Hakeem. I think the first time I interviewed Hakeem in person, and it was it during fight froze. week, I was just like, he's, he's just so intense. And I was like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> Some fighters don't give you answers, and you're just like, I don't know what to say now. Like, yeah, but that's not really fight or flight. All my questions. Yeah, that's yeah. not really fight or flight. That's more just like I run out of ideas. Run fight or flight is ideas. like when I want to think of the next question, I just can't. My brain just shuts down. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if I've had a few. I mean, I think once maybe I probably got a little intimidated with talking to Badr Hari interviews because he's more of uh, like Hari, if you ask Hari's the wrong pretty question, intense. snaps. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that one was pretty – if you ask the wrong question, he's like, I'm not answering that or he gets mad. And one quick funny story with Badr, the first time I ever met him, you got to think he's this huge scary presence, you know, the bad boy getting into fights, don't say anything wrong. He's had a criminal past, you know, outside of the ring. So when he came up to me the first time I ever met him, and I'm a big fan of his. I was uh, we're doing rehearsals um, for one of the shows, and so he comes downstairs. He felt out the ring, did a little shadow box in the field. Then he comes down to say hi to me, and he grabs my bicep. So obviously I give it a nice strong flex for him, and he's like, hmm. he was impressed. So I was good. But then he looked at me in the eyes, dead in the eyes. He goes, so I heard you said Bah Rico's going to win. And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, as an analyst, and you haven't been in the ring for three years, so, you know, I have to give him an advantage. I'd be a terrible analyst if I didn't give him an advantage. And he just looked at me and he's like, okay. And that was it. <laughs> and then we became friends after. And then he told me his next time we met that he watches my YouTube channel. So we're like, all right, we're cool. But that first one was pretty intimidating. Yeah, I mean, it's about Rari, right? Like, yeah, the like bad I can't, boy, you can't know? blame you. Jeez. I mean, it's... Yeah, that's if anybody's gonna, gonna be attack me, I don't know. Yeah, I mean he's he's a bit of a he's, he's a bit of a loose cannon, right? I mean you can yeah. you can be I I don't I don't uh, you know I don't hold that against you. Yeah, that was in fight or flight there, but then my fighter side comes out, you know, then I'm okay. But yeah, it's intimidating. I got my heart rate up a little bit. He's a scary guy. He's definitely a scary dude. Big, tall, you know. Watching his fights as a kid, you're like, and the, the scary thing even more is he's my age which is crazy because he went through the k1 and the, and the big ranks when he was 18 years old so even though we're the same age he was just you know fighting at the highest level at 18 right so yeah. i thought he would be so much older than me but really i think he's only 35 too wow yeah and uh might be fighting again by the end of the year apparently for glory yeah yeah i think they're thinking um uh, december would it be against rico or is this like a um, they're trying to do four the, the our four main heavyweights either against each other or all against different opponents. They want to kind of showcase the heavyweight division, which who are the I top think four? Awesome. I mean, obviously you got Rico and Bader, but who else? Rico Bader, then you have Jamal you, Ben Sadiq and Attic Bowie. Yeah. yeah, okay. Jamal Ben Sadiq is a, a big. Uh, but didn't Ben Sadiq uh, just beat Attic Bowie? Uh, yeah, knocked him out uh, in a tournament, eight man tournament. So chances are they're gonna put those two like they're gonna mix and match. 
those four? I would think so. I would think so. I would think because it was originally supposed to be Badr Hari versus um, Benjamin Attic Boy, okay. and then a nice uh, rematch between Rico and Sadiq. I yeah. I would think that, or they that might do them separate. I have no info, but I would put those. I would do it that way. Let's just do a do four man tournament. That's it. I would seriously. Then the winner would get you know the chance at Rico again and Rico's belt. That'd be sweet. No, I mean, put, I mean, put Rico in the tournament. Well, I mean, you're saying you want the same night tournament too. Yeah, but Glory, Glory doesn't typically put the champions in the tournament. They typically, I mean, that's a Bellator thing. Bellator yeah. puts their champion in the first round. It's like wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Rico would do it if it's on separate nights. You know, it's just basically like two title defenses for him. Yeah, right. And you just make it less rounds or something. Yeah, to be in a, a same night tournament as a champion would be stupid because there's too many variables and like what I'm, I hurt myself in the first fight. I'm not going in 100 percent and I lose yeah. my world title right, because of right. that. Yeah. yeah, that wouldn't make sense to me on opposite nights, though, on different nights. I think it's all cool and fun. Hmm. Cool. All right. I like it. Um, and that's that's getting started sometime soon. Well, uh, Joe, I'm going to let yeah. you go. I know you got stuff to do at the gym. Yeah, and, uh, we got, we got five guests it. to get to. So, I mean, I don't want to keep everybody here all day. People have stuff to do. Well, they maybe want to hear my voice longer. That's what it is. Well, maybe maybe we'll play the interviews and I'll pause them after each answer, and you can just give me an assessment of each uh, each answer. Or even better, they can come visit at Bazooka Kickboxing. Come take a class. And You're open. Screaming and yelling. Open We're for open, business. So let's do it. So that's uh, what what number on Progress Road? We haven't plugged it in a while. Six eighty. Six eighty uh, Progress Road. There you go. If you want Progress to, uh, Avenue. Progress Avenue. Avenue. Well, I mean, you'll find it. it. You'll find it. Unit one. Bazooka kickboxing and MMA. Yeah. So uh, what what if somebody wants to pop in and they have they've never taken a class before or whatever? What what would you recommend? When 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 would well, the class be? Well, they come in and the first thing you do is you can uh, see Maria at the front, which is my sister. And uh, she'll book you a trial class. And then she will pick a day. And then uh, from there, you'll like it. And then you'll sign up. And then you can come to all of our beginner, co-ed, and all-level classes. And if you listen to the TSN MMA show, you get to shake hands with Joe and meet him. When That's you it. To the gym. Yeah. yeah. She mentioned the TSN MMA show. And you, you, can, you can meet uh, give you, kickboxing legend. I'll give you something. I'll give you something from the gym. There you, you, hey, there you go. Give you some hard merchandise. Hard to be, hard to be that. Um, I mean, nobody, nobody knows what it is now. It's, it's a it. surprise. Surprise, surprise. So come in and take a, take a trial class. You get something from the gym. You get to meet Joe. I mean, this, this deal just keeps getting better and better. Win, win, win all around. <laughs> all right, Joe. Well, thanks for this. Appreciate right, it. Man. And we'll get to our guests. Uh, let's start off with an interview with uh, the champ himself, Stipe Miocic. He joins us now on the TSN MMA show. It's the trilogy fight, Miocic versus Cormier 3. And I'm now joined by the champ himself, Stipe Miocic. Uh, does this feel like a bigger fight week to you? I mean... There's no fans around. The buzz probably isn't in the air. Do you do you prefer it this way, or do you prefer when there's lots of hoopla? Uh, no, I'm not, I don't mind it. I mean, honestly, it's been kind of nice because I don't have as much, uh, you know, stuff to do during the week besides the interviews and stuff. But, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, the fans is what makes the sport. So, you know, it's great they have the fans here. But, you know, uh, listen, it's a fight, so I'm, I'm going to be ready no matter what. You've been in there twice with Junior Dos Santos, a former champion, twice with Cormier. Is Cormier the toughest opponent you've ever faced? Oh, definitely. I mean, he's definitely a great fighter. I mean, they get every, your next fight's your toughest opponent, no matter what. So, I you know, I think uh, everyone has a different, brings something different to the table that you fight. But, I you know, definitely DC, uh, he's, he has a lot of stuff to bring. And uh, it's going to be a tough fight. But, you know, unfortunately, I'm coming out with the belt still wrapped around waist here and then still. There's been this narrative going on that uh, the winner of this fight is going to be the greatest heavyweight in UFC history. 
personally, and I don't know if you agree with this, I think that win or lose, it's still you. And that you're not getting enough respect here looking at your resume. You have a win over Cormier, of course. You have a win over three other former UFC heavyweight champions. Do you agree with that? Uh, listen, man, it, it's, it's whoever's opinion it is these days. You know, there's no, like, solid answer, I guess. You know what I mean? There's always going to be a debate about it. Uh, it's, it's just great to be, you know, in that, in that, in that, in that, and talk, you know, it's, it's great to be part of it. And, uh, you know, it means I'm doing something right. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, listen, you know, after Saturday comes and I get that win, you'll then we'll be, we'll, we'll be good. I'll be all put to bed. Has retirement crossed your mind at all? I mean, I, I saw that you discussed it previously. Uh, you know, it was of course a fluid situation, but outside of facing John Jones, is there really much more for you to accomplish in this career? Uh, definitely always. I mean, listen, man, I love fighting. I love what I do. You know, the minute I'm, I'm done, you know, the minute I'm done, it's because I'm not having fun in the sport. Now I'm, I'm having fun. You've still been volunteering at the fire station while you were in camp. Uh, outside of helping people, is the camaraderie an important part of helping you take your mind off of fighting as part of your daily routine? Well, I don't volunteer. I'm actually part-time. I do get paid. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. My, my mistake. <laughs> no, you're good. just giving you a hard time, Mom. But yeah, I love I love all about it, man. Just you know, it's like you know, going to the gym with the coaches and the teammates, and then you know, going to the fire station. Just I love all that, just because you know, they're so different from each other. And the great thing about going to the fire station, they don't really talk. They talk about fighting, but they don't really. Like, that's the only thing they talk about. We talk about other stuff. We you know, bust each other's chops, I and mean, it's great. And uh, you know, I'm not, that's what I'm all about, man. I'm all about that unity. So that's something you hope to do for a long, long time after this. I mean, it, it seems like you're part of a of a fraternity almost. No, oh, definitely. I mean, I love, it's it's fun, man. It's uh, it's, it's just good dudes and just uh, you know, it's it's a, it's a family there at the station. It's just like the gym. It's, it's like a family too. It's a, it's a family at the station, and it's uh, you know, I, I love what I do, man. I, I, I love fighting. I love being a firefighter, paramedic. I love helping people, and then uh, also uh, just uh, you know, I worked hard to get there. I want to leave my mom proud. You were very svelte coming into the last fight, about 230 pounds. Do you look at your weight on a day-to-day -day basis? I mean, you don't have to cut any weight for heavyweight, or do you just kind of go with the flow, and whatever you step onto the scale, that's what you're going to weigh? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I just, uh, whatever I weigh, I weigh. You know, I work hard, um, I train hard. You know, if I'm light, I'm light. If I'm heavier, I'm heavier. So I, I don't really worry about it. I just make sure that I feel good, and I, you know, I feel strong, I'm, you know, I'm going to get good wind. That's all I care about. How was this camp? I mean, you talked about how you didn't want to jump right into it right away. You know, it was early on in the pandemic. You really wanted to continue helping uh, as a part-time firefighter. Uh, what was this camp like compared to other ones? Different. You know, I mean, it's not so much I didn't want to train. It's just I couldn't train. I didn't have a uh, gym to go to. My gym was shut down for over two months, you know, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't have the gym in my house at the time because I never had to. I never wanted to. Uh, but uh, it was, it was, you know, the, you know, I got a gym. I put one in my house, <laughs> in my basement, finally. Uh, you know, it took a little bit. We got there, though. It happened pretty quick, thank God. You know, I have good people around me to help me out. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, you know, it was awkward at times because, you know, trying to figure everything out and just making sure that we're doing the right things and making sure we're getting the right training in. And, uh, you know, we, we made it work, though. It was awesome. As, like I said, my coaches and the teammates, we all made it work, and they're awesome. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm ready for this fight. Yeah, I heard you mention the Brad Alcomodo. You never wanted to have a gym in your house. Why was that? Never. Yeah, that's like my home. That's my sanctuary, man. That's why I just go home, you know, enjoy my daughter. and But... Honestly, in like hindsight, it was probably the best thing I ever happened. I love it. I love having a gym in the house because now I have a, I have wrestling mats, I have you know wall mats. So like not even for me, my daughter can play down there and just go ham and just go crazy and she won't hurt herself. And then uh, also, I, I spend more time at home now too. I don't like 
go to the gym at night and train. And I come home, my daughter's asleep, and I, I get done training. I see her. She comes down, you know, after I'm done training or she, during training, just great to see her. Kind of just uh, lifts me up even more. Now, people talk about the adjustment in the last fight. In the fourth round, you started going body on, on Daniel Cormier. Was that adjustment made on the cor in the corner, or was there something that you noticed in the round, something that, that caught your eye that you were like, okay, I'm onto something here? Uh, a little bit of both. You know, I think we, we talk about it all the time, and I think finally I woke up and I stopped being slow and not doing what I was supposed to, and I just kind of opened up, and finally I started moving, and I just saw an opening, you know, and we just took it ran with it. You know, Cormier says that you've made that adjustment now. He's now made the adjustment to make up for that, and now you have to face him at full strength. Does, do you have any other things that you've noticed about his game in the previous two fights from watching them going into this fight that you feel like you can exploit? Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm not going to tell you, though. I'm going to keep it a secret. Uh, <laughs> I'm not asking. But, uh, I'm not asking. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I feel like he probably the same thing about me. No, those things he probably things that he'll exploit on me. But, uh, yeah, man, we were, listen, we worked hard. We worked on a lot of things, and I think uh, – you know, we, you know, I think uh, you know, we've done the right things to make it, make it work, and we're, we're going to make it work on Saturday. All right. Uh, when you win this fight, I know you like when you when I say that. Uh, mm -hmm. Who do you think is next in line? Who would you like to face next? Uh, I don't know. You know, right now it's all I care about Saturday. That's all I'm worried about. And, uh, you know, once, once Saturday's over, we're going to figure out after that. All right, he's the champion of the world in the heavyweight division, the baddest man on the planet. He's taking on Daniel Cormier. It's the trilogy fight, the biggest trilogy fight in the history of UFC heavyweight division. I appreciate your time, Stipe. Thanks for having me, guys. That was Stipe Miocic, and uh, from Miocic, we go to the challenger, Daniel Cormier, who uh, takes on Stipe this weekend, Saturday, UFC 252, the trilogy fight. And uh, it's very exciting because... The narrative will have you believe that the winner of this fight will be the greatest heavyweight of all time. I don't personally believe it, but that's what everybody's saying. So uh, maybe you believe it, maybe you don't. But uh, that's why it's a free country and a free world. So uh, here you go. It's the challenger, Daniel Cormier on the TSN MMA show. Joined now by Daniel Cormier, who's uh, taking a nap, but uh, I'm interrupting it. It's Miocic versus Cormier 3, and uh, we appreciate your time, Daniel. No problem, man. Thank you for having me. Of course, my pleasure. Well, does this week feel different? Does it feel like a, a trilogy fight? There's no fans. I'm sure it's quiet wherever you are. Does this have that same aura as uh, the previous fights with Stipe? Um, it's different because of the all of the excitement that was in the air, right? In the sense that at the hotel, there were a ton of fighters, a ton of people in Anaheim. It was right by Disneyland, so it was just real vibrant. But the reality is, for me... It feels similar to just, just a lot of my fight weeks being that I don't do very much, right? I work out, I lay down. I work out, I lay down. So you say I'm taking a nap, but that's not even me taking a nap. This is just kind of what I do. I lay around all day until I have to go do something. So um, it is different. But I think me coming to call the fights under these circumstances has prepared me for what I'm, I knew I would be seeing when I got here. I was reading um, the night we faced DC that uh, Sean Al Shadi wrote for the Athletic, and I, I made a realization that in an individual sport like wrestling or like MMA, you might be the best teammate ever. Do, do you feel like had you not been so selfless that you could have accomplished more in your career? No, I think all those things allowed for me to be where I am today. Right, so going down and wrestling 184 in college, um, it was what I needed to do. You know because. I don't know if me winning an NCAA title opposed to being second 
would have given me the level of competition in order to make the Olympic teams, right? Because I was wrestling Kale so many times, I thought I could go with anyone in the world, gave me that confidence, and I applied that to the people I wrestled next. And then even with, with, with Kane and Jones, right? Going down and preparing for Jones has allowed me to know that if I can prepare to fight this guy, I can fight anyone in the world. So I believe that because of the sacrifices, they allowed me to gain some experiences to prepare myself for the people that I've had to challenge. Now, there was some redacted information in this article. I'm dying to know the answer to this question. So you were an Olympian on an airplane, and you guys were sitting behind the uh, men's basketball team, and you asked one of them for an autograph, and they snubbed you. I, I need to know who it was. I can't tell you that, man. I, you can't. Uh, <laughs> that was a long time ago, and, and um, yeah. I, I'm not going to say, but yeah, I've, I've, that's actually kind of been on my Twitter. That's the one thing that people have been asking most is who was that basketball player that wouldn't give DC <laughs> the picture. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a different time. What did that experience mean to you in terms of how you approach uh, meeting fans, meeting people that want to get a moment of your time? It, it was bad, right? It was, it was, it was a letdown. So I tried to make sure that regardless of how I'm feeling, I try to give people a little piece of me, um, make their experience to meeting me a, a, a pleasant one because you don't know what that does for a person and you don't know who that person is going to eventually turn out to be. So um, what if you meet the president or some kid that's going to become the president one day? You don't know. What if you... Meet a kid that's just having a, a bad day or an adult that's just having a really bad day, and your interaction can uplift them. You just never know what people are going through. So I try to make sure that when people come in contact with me, the experience is pleasant. You know, there's a funny story. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar once asked Magic Johnson how he was so successful in business. And Magic told him a story about a guy and his kid going up to Kareem, asking him for an autograph. Kareem snubbed them. They went up to Magic, who was a rookie at the time. Actually, Magic went up to them and said, hey, I'll, I'll take a picture with you. And that kid ended up being the CEO of a major company that he ended up doing business with. Look, see what I'm saying? Like, that's the thing. You never know. <laughs> and not even it's not even like you're looking for some sort of payment later down the road. But you just don't know. You're also doing it because you can just help somebody, and helping somebody is a good thing. Now, this is a different fight week for obvious reasons. There's no crowd. Uh, the pandemic is still going on. Your family's not traveling with you to this particular one. But it's also the first time you've fought since your father, Percy, passed away. Have you been thinking about him a lot this week, and is, is that something that you're carrying with you into this fight? You know, I think when I left that fight in Anaheim, my father had gone home on hospice the next day which just was terrible, right? My dad goes home on hospice, and uh, we leave Anaheim to go to Louisiana with my family. We see my dad. We're there for a week, and he, you know, I spent a week in the room with him just crying, you know, and I watched my mom intentionally not go back there very often, even though she knew he was about to go because she could not see that man, that strong man in the state that he was in. And I was so sad when he passed away. Like, Bob Cook, my manager, and Cassandra, they came out to the funeral and they said, I look like a little boy that nobody could help. But as I've gotten further and further away from my father's funeral and his passing, I start to think like, he, I watched him moan and be in so much pain in that room. And I saw him 
not as the person he was. He was just, he was hurting. And so for him to be able to be out of that pain now and back to himself, it makes me happy that he's not in pain anymore. I've never seen my father like this. So it makes me happy that he's, you know, hopefully he, you know, he, he's not a, not in pain anymore. So I want to honor him, but um, I'm just really happy that he's not suffering. I appreciate you sharing uh, those emotions with us. Um, you, you spoke to Ariel Helwani. You guys do a great show, the fastest growing podcast at ESPN, uh, DCN Helwani. Um, you talked about how after losing the heavyweight belt, you still feel like the same person. You feel like things haven't changed much uh, with you not being the champion. Um, what does that mean going into this fight, knowing that you're not really risking that, that feeling of, of losing a championship belt? I guess there's some comfort in knowing that regardless of, of what happens, I'm still going to be me. And people are still going to value me on a number of different levels. And it's comforting, but it's also um, motivation because I do want the belt back more than anything. So it's like, I don't want to be too comfortable in that, that situation because I don't want it to become my reality for the rest of my life. I want the rest of my life to be the guy that retired as the UFC heavyweight champion. But yeah, it didn't change much. It was very surprising. I kind of got more opportunities and more things in business and television after I didn't have the belt. And I, I don't know if that's normal or if that was a very rare circumstance. Well, back in 2006 or 2007, Heidi Seibert, who was, uh, or Heidi Siebert rather, who was working at Zinkin at the time, sent me a text message. I was a producer in radio saying, you've got to interview this guy, Daniel Cormier. He's about to make his Force debut. He's got a fantastic story. I said yes, and I think it might have been your first radio interview ever. So I've been on the D.C. train since day one. It's been a pleasure watching your career. I know this is going to be your last fight this weekend, and I just wanted to say uh, it's been just fantastic to watch your growth, your development, and how big of a, of a star uh, you've become, and, and of course, a, a two-division champion in this sport. And thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Aaron, thank you so much. And again, thank you for covering me from the start to the finish. And the way that you have portrayed me to the masses has been amazing. I am not who I am without the way that you guys in the media have uh, portrayed me. I appreciate you guys. I do appreciate everything. And I'm thankful for the friendships I've made over the course of this time. And now I get to be one of you guys and try to build uh, future fighters uh, with, the, with, my, uh, with the way that I present them. Well, pleasure's been all ours. Uh, welcome to being one of the nerds in the media as per Dana White. We welcome you with open arms. Thank you, Aaron. You're the man. <laughs> that was DC Daniel Cormier, who has a chance to etch himself as a top five fighter of all time if he is able to defeat Stipe Miocic. I have no clue what's going to happen in that fight, and that, that's what I love about it. So Cormier could be a two-time heavyweight and two-time light heavyweight champion if things go his way on Saturday. Uh, also fighting this Saturday in the co-main event, big opportunity for Sean O'Malley. Uh, I've loved watching Sean O'Malley do his thing. The improvements that he made during those two years away from the cage are just unbelievable. And I mean, that's what happens with these young guys. You know, you saw a lot of younger fighters get signed to the Dana White Contender Series I, this past week. I can't wait to see how good these guys all get. I mean, the average age was, I think, 24.6 or something. I, I, I tweeted it out somewhere in that in that area code. So uh, it's always great to see a lot of young up-and-coming fighters improve. And uh, Sean O'Malley got a start on the Dana White Contender Series. His fight, you know, Dana White is never shy to tell you. Did 5.5 million views on YouTube. And uh, he continues to uh, raise his profile. I think he could be a real star if he keeps winning these fights. And he's going to try to do that against Cheeto Vera. Uh, so we'll listen to this interview with Sean O'Malley. We uh, then have an interview with Corey Anderson. And we'll follow that up 
with uh, Jasmine Jasudavishis, who will be fighting for the CFFC Strawweight Championship of the World tonight uh, on the CFFC card on Fight Pass. So check that out as well. And uh, she might already be the champion by the time you're listening to this. But uh, thank you uh, for tuning in. And here are the interviews with Sean O'Malley, Corey Anderson, and Jasmine Jasudavishis. I'm now joined by Sugar Sean O'Malley. He's in a warehouse in Phoenix, Arizona. So you've got uh, an interesting setup there. Yeah, I got a. I can show you right here. Went went bought a cage for COVID training and uh, been quarantined. Got my results back. UFC had us taking home tests, and I just got mine back. I'm I was negative, so that's exciting. Yeah, we just been training in the warehouse. Yeah, so you've set that up so that uh, you have minimal contact with other people. Who's your main uh, training partner? Is it Tim? Uh, Tim's my head coach, and then Augusto Mendez, uh, Tanquino is one of my main training partners. I've been training with uh, a kid named Ivan uh, and, and Tommy. They've been a huge help, and they've been kind of COVID training with us too, not really going to other gyms. And uh, just it's been it's been a really really good camp. Uh, we've been training in this cage. We got, I got a cage that's the same size, the Apex cage. Um, just become really familiar with the size because it is smaller. Um, and it, it's been a really, really good camp. So the cage you're using, I guess, for training is a similar size to the one at the Apex? Yep, exactly. Cool. Well, I was just on eBay, and I was looking at sold auctions of your, your clothing line. So you've basically adapted the Supreme model, limited edition clothes, and they're, they're flying off, I mean, 39 seconds for, for the, uh, the first batch. Yeah, we had 100, uh, 100 um, jerseys, and... Yeah, 39 seconds, and then we auctioned off uh, number 69 and 420, and those went for for a good amount. So, yeah, the fans, the ones that got them should be getting them this week before the fight. So is that what you're looking to do a little bit more of, I guess, the limited edition model? Uh, that was just for the jerseys. We got uh, the sugar merch coming out, the, the, more, the stuff that's not limited, hats, hoodies, shirts, um, coming out this week or next week. See, the long-term goal should have like a, be like a secondary market for just Shugashano O'Malley clothes like Supreme has, where you can go on and, and people can get all the limited edition swag. Yep, exactly. We're, we're, we're building it up slowly but surely. So uh, this is an interesting thing because the Reebok deal, a lot of people thought hindered the ability for athletes to, to make some money on apparel. But if you're able to utilize that model outside of, I guess, fight week and when you're required to wear Reebok, it can still be a successful model if done properly, correct? Yeah, if you have the fan base... Absolutely. I know, you know I'm losing a ton of money. Every fighter that fights in the octagon is losing a ton of money from the Reebok deal. I think I got a $4,000 check from Reebok as far as a sponsorship for my last fight and then 3500 before the one before that. So, yeah, we're, we're definitely getting screwed out of a lot of money when it comes to sponsors, fight week, and in the, in the octagon, logos on the shorts and stuff. Reebok made a pretty wildly successful Sugar Sean O'Malley shirt. I was in Vegas and saw it in the window uh, back when it launched. And th- those were flying off the shelves too. Did you see any money from that? Not a lot. <laughs> it's Not like a, lot. a like a royalty check. <laughs> a p- very pathetic lo- royalty check. We'll just call it that. And now the UFC has a new uh, apparel deal with Venom. Have you heard anything uh, about that deal and and whether there's going to be any sort of customization? Whether the athletes going to be involved? Anything along those lines? Yeah, I haven't heard anything. Um, it can't be worse than the Reebok deal, I feel like. So, I mean, there's a step forward on, on switching deals. Um, I can't imagine it being worse th- than Reebok deal, but we'll see. 
Now, a lot of people compare your uh, ascension to Conor McGregor. I mean, you, you started off with a, a ton of views when you were on Contender Series, and that momentum is carried. Now you're in the event, main event of a pay-per-view. But it seems like you know the main ingredient, which is winning. <laughs> and it seems like everything that you've done has been to polish your game, made it better. I mean, you, you said you're grappling with Augusto Mendez. That certainly doesn't hurt in terms of that facet of your game. Um, is that what, what you think is the, the main ingredient for success for any fighter? Is uh, If you don't win, people are going to jump off the bandwagon? A hundred percent. I mean, winning's the the winning. If I go out there and lose my next couple fights, no one's gonna be buying my stuff. I mean, I have a pretty loyal fan base, and and I really, I, I feel like I truly have you know some amazing fans that are going to stick with me, win or lose. Um, but for the most part, you gotta win fights. That's especially you know it's not like the NFL where you lose this week, you win next week, you win, you lose, and you fight every week. This is you lose, you're you're a loser. It depends whose eyes, but. I mean, you're a loser until you win. You're as good as your last fight. So, you know, for me to go out there and keep winning is definitely the ingredient to, to, to being able to, you know, sell sell certain merchandise and, you know, get sponsors and, and be in the public eye, doing interviews, getting this co-main event spot. I don't get this co-main event spot unless I win, win, win. So for sure winning, I, I need to keep winning for everything to keep getting better. You're still incredibly young in this game, and everybody always talks about pumping the brakes when it comes to prospects. Uh, if you keep winning, how long do you think it will be before you're in the top five of the division? Not long at all. I, I mean, I, I'm when I, for me, I look at myself as a top five fighter. I could be, you know, I could feel like in my eyes, in my heart, I could beat Peter today. So I, it's just a matter of getting there and winning. I can't, I can't lose to Cheeto and then expect to fight someone in the top ten. So I just got to keep going out there, winning, and then outside of those fights, get better. And that's what I that's what I do consistently is get better. Do you feel like you're being pushed too slowly? Like if you were facing a top seven guy, for example, that you would fare well against them and and potentially get yourself right into that title mix? No, I, I mean I don't like the ranking system. The rankings are ridiculous. If Cheeto would have won on the judges' cards, he would be ranked probably top fifteen and maybe even top ten um, right now. So. I feel like Cheeto is a, is that next step up, that next good guy. That's perfect, perfect spot uh, for me in my career, and uh, it's going to be a, a good test for me to go out there and prove to you know the the media outlets, the, the the casual fans, even the hardcore fans that I'm legit and I'm as good as I say I am. You know, he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu and he's never been finished. He's got a bunch of finishes in the UFC, so you know he's definitely a top ten fighter in my eyes. And with Cheeto, I mean, he's a very difficult guy to put away. How imperative is, uh, imperative is it for you in your mind to get a finish? Yeah, I, I mean, just the way I see the fight playing out with my pace and my skill set, I feel like I do get the finish. Um, I'm, I've trained for 15 minutes. I'm ready to go to war for 15 minutes. Um, and if it's a decision, you know, at the end of the day, I probably won't. If I, if, if I do win a decision, you know, I can't see. I, I'll be happy I got the extra check. I won. But I want that finish. I crave that finish. That's that to me. That's just solidifying who's better. A decision, yeah. Putting someone's lights out. That's that's how I like to win. And that's what you did in your last fight. It was potentially the knockout of the year. How much of it was by design with that feint? Is that something you've practiced uh, time and time again that you know works, or is it something that you know the bright lights are on? You're just in a, a flow state, as a lot of fighters call it, and that's just what happens. Definitely in a flow state, and definitely just part of my skill set. I have so many tools that that wasn't just random. I, I <clears throat> threw it about 30 seconds before that too, landed it not as clean. 
Um, when I'm in there, I just let my higher self take over and my, my truth, just let my skill set be free and, and flow and do whatever my body needs to do in those moments. It's pretty much 100% instinct with um, letting my body do what it needs to do. I've, I've, I've had over 30 fights. I know, you know, my body knows what, what, we're, what we're getting into. Um, it knows on that night we're peaking. Once those lights hit, my feet touch that canvas, I feel unstoppable. I was very impressed with your grappling at Quintet. Uh, and we haven't really seen it on display since you've come back to the UFC after the two years away from the Octagon. Is that something that you like to just have in your back pocket? You you prefer to keep it standing, and then when it goes there, you know you'll have that advantage? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Jose Quinones, I'm sure his goal his goal was probably put me up against the fence and take me down, similar to what Cheeto's plan is. Oh, sorry. Um Jose's plan was, I felt like, to take me down. He had jiu-jitsu tattooed on his chest, and he, he didn't get the opportunity to uh, take me down, so I, I didn't have to show it. Um, and then Eddie Wineland, I figured, was going to try to strike with me. Didn't have to show it there. Cheeto, he, he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. He's going to try to grapple me. Um, and either you guys get to see my grappling and my wrestling defense, or I put his lights out before he, before he gets a hold of me. So I'm definitely going to try to keep it standing and if it hits the ground I'm either going to get up or, or play jiu-jitsu off my back what's the next step from here where's your progression after this fight like is, is a guy like Jose Aldo the, the logical next step for you a guy that I think is probably going to become a gatekeeper at this point in time yeah I don't I have no idea I'm pretty good at keeping focused you know I thought Cody was going to be next and then he just got his fight booked with Figueredo today um so we'll see. It, it, it's hard to say. It depends on who's winning, who's who's healthy, who's looking for a fight. Um, you know, there's, there's just so much that goes into that, and, and I got to focus on Cheeto right now. He, he's he's August fifteenth. I got I got to beat him before I can you know get get a next fight lined up. As you get older and your metabolism slows down, you get bigger. Are you planning on going to featherweight eventually? Like down the line, do you think that's going to be your weight class? Yeah, once my body's. I'll know when I'm when I'm ready to move up to featherweight. Right now, I'm a bantamweight. Um, I, I want that bantamweight strap. I want to defend the bantamweight strap. I want to become one of the best bantamweights ever. But I do, you know, champ champ definitely in the back of my mind. So that'll happen someday. What do you think of Cody moving down to 125 and getting an immediate title shot? Yeah, I think that's perfect for him. He's not a very big bantamweight. You know, he's not very tall. He's not very big. Um, I think... He, he could potentially do good good at flyweight, um, but also I think he could get knocked out by Figueredo. He's a beast. That dude's that dude's gonna hit him and hit him hard. And uh, you know, Cody's that's a big fight for Cody. If he loses, gets knocked out. He's one and four with four KOs in his last five fights. So uh, that's an interesting fight. I'll definitely tune in to watch, and I'm going for Cody because if Cody wins, he comes back up to 35, and then I knock him out. It, it looks better for me. So. But yeah, definitely going to be a tough fight. Yeah, it's funny. If, he's, if he loses, like you said, he's 1-4 with four knockout losses. But if he wins, he's a double champion, right? So it's amazing how much of a swing fight this is for the guy's legacy. Ooh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is amazing that this sport's amazing and just the, the ups and downs. And for him to get knocked out three times and then come back and, and get a knockout over a tough guy in a sunset is impressive. Um, so props to him. You mentioned Piotr Jan earlier, and it looks like they're going in the direction of Aljamain Sterling getting the next title shot. But what did you think of uh, Piotr against uh, Jose Aldo? How did you assess that performance? Yeah, I've seen a lot of people saying Jose's done, he's over. I thought he looked good. I thought Jose looked amazing. Um, he's just not a five-round fighter. He's, he's explosive, and you know he gasses. It's similar to Conor McGregor. 
they're just not five 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 minute round fighters that's a lot that's 25 minutes of fighting and um you know he was looking good and then he, he faded and peter took over and, and, and whooped him so yeah i think uh peter looked good he's he's legit he's uh high level everywhere um he's a legitimate champion and i thought i thought aldo was a legitimate contender and that was a sweet fight all right, and finally, what kind of plans do you have in terms of growing your business outside of the cage after this? Do you have any other things that are, any other irons on the fire, so to speak? Well, we're coming out with the Sugar and Sanibel gloves. Sanibel's been a sponsor for me for three years. Um, we're coming out with some, uh, Sugar Collection gloves. They're absolutely amazing. Um, I gave a free pair away on my Twitch channel. I'm going to give another free pair away leading into fight week. Um, they're going to be for sale at the end of August. And yeah, so, so the gloves are coming out. The merch is coming out. Um, the, uh, sugar cannabis strain is, we're working on that. There, it, you know, there's a lot of contractual stuff that we got to deal with and stuff, making sure everything's right and, and, uh, getting all the legal things figured out. But yeah, you know, the marijuana industry, the clothing industry, the, the Sanibel gloves. So lots, lots of things coming. Um, definitely want to build the, uh, business outside of fighting because fighting's not going to last forever. Yeah, and, and after your career, do you see yourself as, as continuing because you've built up such a fan base that you'll be able to run a viable business and, and sh that your job will basically be being Sean O'Malley in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm an entertainer. I, I love entertaining with <clears throat> entertaining and, and communicating with fans. I stream tw on Twitch every single day, um, at least an hour and a half. So, so I'm constantly doing that. Tim and I have a podcast, The Timbo Sugar Show. One episode a week, we're doing that. That can always grow and become more outside of you know fighting and and that's you know a lot of you just running my youtube channel there's so many different business opportunities i can get into and um as long as like i said keep winning everything keeps getting bigger and and, and my fan key fan base keeps growing and you know i enjoy the whole process of, of building all of these businesses all right sean well it's been a pleasure watching your evolution and it's great to see that you're in the coming event it's a big uh, big night for you big spot for you and uh, we wish you all the best on saturday Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Bye. I'm pleased to be joined now by Corey Anderson, who uh, is the new assignee to Bellator MMA in the uh, light heavyweight division. So, Corey, this came together really quickly. I've never seen a story like this where suddenly you were on the UFC roster, there was no talk of any free agency, and you signed with Bellator MMA. Uh, walk me through this whole process. How did this all come together? Mm, it wasn't much of a process. Like, it happened so fast. Um... It just an opportunity came within the day where the release was an option and we took the option to play the free agency and literally right after we got the release, we ended up striking a deal with Bellator pretty quick. So I'm grateful and blessed that everything happened so fast that I didn't have to sit and worry what's next because everything kind of just started happening so quick. So when you asked the UFC from their release, from that time until you're signed to Bellator, how long is that? Um, it was probably, the whole process was probably a whole hour and a half, probably two hours. Wow. That's pretty unbelievable. So you didn't want to test the market more than that? You you got your offer from Bellator and that was good? Yeah, I mean, that was enough for me. You know, I ain't trying to, I need to make more money. I want to make more money 100%. But, you know, if I, the longer I sit, you know, the chances the offer start going away. The opportunity was like, all right, let's jump on this opportunity now. It's striking this fast. So and I've heard nothing but good things about Scott Coker and Bellator. So, you know what? Let's test the water. Let's go see. Let's try it out and see how it goes. It's, it's new home. So let's christen the home really well. 
you know, for years, everybody wanted to become the ultimate fighter. That was this big goal. But you get locked into a pretty bad contract, so to speak, when you win the ultimate fighter. Is that the case? Yeah, I mean, I actually, I got out of that contract. I got another contract, but it still wasn't like the greatest contract. Considering how many fights I had and the people I've fought and how long I've been here, it definitely could have been better. It could have been better. You can always do more, use more money. But uh, the ultimate fighter contract, is you do get locked in, it is pretty... I'm not gonna say it's pretty bad, but it's like the plan of it, it's kind of like a development deal. When you win the Ultimate Fighter, is usually I just win the Ultimate Fighter, and you're supposed to work your way up and to get into the rankings. So it's kind of starting off low. As for my road, it was I won the Ultimate Fighter. I had one or two unranked opponents. No, one. I had the one guy won the tough. The next guy was unranked, and then I fought number 15 ranked yeah or. G.I. Volante, and I came back on short notice and fought number 12 ring, Yana uh, uh, Blackwood the first time. Then I fought Tom Lawler, who was ranked 15 at one point off. He still wasn't. We fought. And then after that, we got a negotiation. We was like, all right, we fought all these top guys. We can see if we can get out of this contract. And I, I got out of that. They gave me the chance to make a little more money from there. Do you feel like you ever got your due from the UFC? Like they ever valued... Um, how good of a fighter you were? Uh, the way I think of it is like it's business, you know. Uh, I think Bellator is at the spot where they they value the fighter. It's more like you win, you move up. You know, if you beat this guy, you take his position. As for the UFC, it's more like Dan always says, we're looking for the next Ronda Rousey, we're looking for the next Conor McGregor. They want somebody that's not only good but that's marketable. And anybody that knows me knows I don't try to be marketable. I'm a a very homebody. I'm quiet. I'm a country boy. I don't go to the club. I don't live fancy. You know, so as for a business aspect, I don't see it as my worth in marketing. I can tell you right now, I'm not wanting to market. I tell them all the time when I talk to them, like, I know I'm not marketing. But as for fighting, I know they are aware that I was a good mixed martial artist. I'm one of the top in the world. The reason why I'm number four. You know, to take a fight against Lovacek there on two weeks' notice and to be able to beat him the way I did, that right there speaks volume of the kind of martial artist that I am. Yeah, look at how Glover's done lately. I mean, even in his advantage, he's beating guys like Anthony Smith who were fighting for the title recently. Now you're in Bellator. Ryan Bader's facing Vadim Nemkov soon for the title. Do you think you should get the next shot? I mean, I just don't see anybody that's at your level in Bellator right now that could challenge Ryan Bader better than you can. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say... I should. I deserve the next shot right away, but 100%. They call me and say, you're fighting for the title next. Let's get it. I'm definitely prepared. I'm well-rounded. I'm a veteran. You know, I fought, just like I said, I fought Glover Six. I fought Lily Tifi. I beat the hype trainer, Johnny Walker. I fought Young Blackwood twice, beat him once. He beat me. I fought all the guys that's in the top except for number one and number two. You know, those are the only two people I haven't fought in the division. So I'm definitely at a higher level. Then I would say, not going to say all the competition in Bellator, but the majority of the competition in Bellator, I feel they haven't fought that level of guys yet because Bellator is more of a, like a, they got a lot of people that are growing into be great fighters. As for UFC, they pick guys up as they already showed that they are great fighters and willing to fight for the title. So in Bellator, there's there's guys like Bader, Phil Davis, the other Machida, and uh, Nimkov that already are established, Lee McGeary, some guys that are dominant at 205. And then you got the other guys. They got a lot of guys with not with very few fights that are still growing 
And I'm excited to see those guys grow and challenge us as well as time goes on. I'm glad you mentioned McGeary. He's one of my favorites to watch at 205. I've always thought that his game is so interesting for the division. Oh, yeah. He was one of my very first farm partners in Jersey. He actually lived right down the street from where I lived. And uh, one of the coaches reached out, like, yo, it's a British guy. I said, Bella Tour, 205. You want to start sparring with him? He doesn't have a car. If you go pick him up and bring him to the gym, that'd be perfect work for you. So he was kind of like my intro to the New Jersey, you know, working with his length, working to get in the distance. So I learned a lot of things from him. You know, there's like Ryan Bader, Trevor Bader before in the past. So working with those guys taught me a lot, and now I get to compete with those guys, and I'm excited to see. You had a bit of a medical situation stemming from your last fight. You you fought in New Mexico. The commission looked you over, and you feel like they didn't look you over well enough, and that led to uh, a pretty scary situation. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it ended up being a concussion. You know, we're not going to get deep into that anymore. Talked about it enough. And say, like I said, it was just a concussion. The the only thing was that the commission just kind of looked at me and gave me my stitches and they let me go. That was the biggest thing that I just wanted to make aware. Like, make sure you take care of your own health, people, because you can't trust other people to do it. I should have, after that, I realized that it didn't do a good job checking me. I should have took it upon myself to tell the UFC, like, look, I want to go to another doctor and get checked out. But instead, I just took the little the, the slap on the wrist, like, oh, you're good. Just get these stitches. I was like, all right, cool. I can go back to living life. And at the end of the day, it obviously wasn't okay. I should have took more time to worry about my health because it could have been dangerous. It could have been serious. Thank God it wasn't. But you never know for the next person. They need to get that checked out as well. Was there a time where you were thinking of taking legal action against the commission? No. Like I said before, I've never been tight to sue anybody. I tell anybody, when I go to fight, I assume all risks. You know, when I sign that contract, I know it's a possibility. I could die in there. I could break something. I could get put to sleep, whatever it is. So the damage that I received in that, I knew what I was doing before I stepped in there. So who am I to go ahead and sue the commission or take legal action because they didn't check me out right? Like, there's a chance. I can't trust the fact that they're going to know everything. So there's a chance, like Muhammad Ali, look at him. I'm sure he was fine, but then later on down the line, it just started to hit. It adds up. He knew that was a risk when he stepped in the ring in the first place. Do you have concerns about that? I mean, I know, like you mentioned, you're a family man. Uh, whenever I see you in person, we talk, and you're always talking about your family. Uh, do you have concerns about long-term uh, health? I mean, yeah, you do and you don't. But if you have too much concern, you go out there and you start fighting scared. And you'd be scared to get hit, and kind of it takes away from your performance. Right now, my wife is on board, my family's on board. I talk to everybody, and we agree. Like we're gonna go out there, we're gonna give it our all. You know, just just block it out. There's a chance, you know, there's a chance, but we're not gonna worry about that. We're gonna worry about being great. That we can worry about the injuries. We worry about the what ifs and all. What if this and what if that happens? Then you're gonna take away from your possibility to go out there and display the best you you can. So in my mind, as of every fight, all my losses except for one, I've been knocked out. But you see, I come back much better every time because you just got to put that fear behind you and know what I'm capable of. I know what I'm trying to do. I know I can be great. I just got to go out here and show it. I can't live in fear. You're a deceiving fighter. When you first joined the UFC uh, on The Ultimate Fighter, I watched the season, and I thought, man, this guy's going to have a good future at 185. And then I stood next to you when I started covering the sport uh, and, and doing more in-person interviews. And I was like, no, this guy's a 205-er. You're a big guy, but you're fast. And you're deceptively fast for the division. Do you always feel like that's been your biggest advantage is just having a, I guess you're just more fleet of foot than a lot of 205-ers? Yeah, I mean, I, when I wrestled, that was the same way I wrestled. That was, coach used to send me 
heavyweights and 197 pounders to study film because I was a heavyweight. But instead, I would pull up like 125 or 133, 141 pounders and study the way they move because I always realized every big guy is going to move slow. Every big guy is trying to club on a hand and they're slow, they're boring. They just send their tax and energy hugging on each other. But if I can figure a way that I can be big and move like this little guy and they can't touch me, one, I'll be 10 times faster to get in and get out. And two, they're going to get tired following me. As for I'm not going to get tired because I'm used to moving this way. And after I went from wrestling to fighting, it literally transitioned to the same thing when I met up with Mark Henry. His style was, I want you to move like a little guy. And that was like great for me because that's how I like to move. I like to be on the toes, stick and move. Move to the left, move to the right, and back before getting hit. Like I said, my defense as for keeping my hands up isn't the greatest, but I don't get hit that much because I'm always in and out and moving left and right because I can move around so fast. Could you have gone to 185 early in your UFC tenure, or were you always a 205? Or like, what did you I, walk around that early on? I was always a 205. Before the Ultimate Fighter, I was actually heavyweight. You know, I was walking around like 240s in. And then leading up to the Ultimate Fighter, I did my first weight cut, the fight before I went to Tough. So my third fight I fought at, ended up being a catchweight. But I was, I was 205, my opponent was like 212. And then Tough was the first time I actually made 205, like legit for a 205 fight. And then what was it after? Was it Jimmy Manuel fight? I can't remember. Jimmy Manuel OSP fight. The coach talked to me about it like, what are you thinking about trying to make 85? You think it's a possibility? You can go down there and dominate. Then I went out to the PI, and we did all the tests, the VO2, the body scan, and we did all the exercises to calculate. And I remember Clint coming to me and said, look, Corey, I know what you want to do. You want to try to or 185, but it's not going to happen. He pulled out the sheet, and it says, this is your body mass. It says here that you are 204.9 pounds muscle. There's no way you can make 85 and still be healthy. So it was like, all right, it is what it is. We just got to bulk up, and now I walk around like 230, 235 solid, and I'm still fast. So it just makes me that much better at 205. I just remember watching uh, Tough again, and uh, I just the, your first fight, I was like, this guy's going to win. He's just so much faster than everybody. It looked like you were in, in like second gear while they were in first gear. Yeah, it was it was cool. When I look back, I watched those videos too, especially the first fight with Kelly and Nesson because I knew him personally from the college. We wrestled at the same college. And um, just looking back, I remember listening to what BJ King saying, like, I wasn't using my reach or none of that. But the thing people don't realize, that was my fourth fight ever. To get into the tough house, that was my fourth fight ever in the MMA. So I was still new to the whole MMA distance, distance for kicks, distance for takedowns. So I was just striking, you know. I had two amateur boxing fights when I was in college, but other than MMA, it was that was just something new that came upon me. And like I said, I always I was just blessed to have the opportunity to capitalize. When do you think you really came into your own in terms of striking? Because early on, back then, I mean, your striking wasn't what it is now. I mean, you were you were very good with wrestling. You were very fast, but you, your striking has gotten so much more polished over the years. Is there a certain fight where you, you feel like it's really started to click? I still don't think like it's clicked completely yet. I still have guys telling me all the time and spawning like, bro, use your hands. So you, you box here, we do box spawn. Like you box with these professional boxers and you put in work. Like you hit them and you avoid punches, but in your fight, you like to feel like you're timid with your punches. You don't commit to them. I feel I've gotten better. I got better with my strikes in the Glover Shake Sheriff fight because I knew he was game on the ground, so I can't worry about – I can't focus on only taking him down and beating him up on the ground. 
And my brother, I remember my brother calling me. Like, I know it's a short notice fight. You don't have a chance to really train and put a camp in. Stick and move, bro. You got the striking. Stick and move. You're going to stick and get out, and then you're going to stick and get in on your shot. Either way, you're not going to stick and stay there. You're going to hit, use your punches, and use it to go where you want to go. And I felt in that fight, mentally, I had to believe in order to beat this guy, I have to outstrike him. I'm not going to sit here and focus on my striking, but I have to outstrike him the way I know I can. And I would say that was the first fight I actually believed I can strike with these guys. But as for coming around being a complete striker, I still think I have a long way to go. You were training with Daniel Cormier recently. He's fighting for the heavyweight title this weekend, looking to walk away from the game as the champion. You say you walk around 230, 235. Do you think you gave him a really good look in terms of what to expect from Stipe in particular? 100%. I think I actually gave him a little better of a look because, as you say, I'm fast for my size. You know, and the fact that I don't get tired. Like, I can go five rounds with DC and still have gas in the tank to keep going. In all five rounds, I was doing what I do. I moved. I was sticking and moving. And I have the wrestling aspect to where I wrestled the college level where he would take me down sometimes, but not every time. It wouldn't be easy. And I would take him down sometimes, but it wouldn't be easy. It would be a battle. We would have to go at it. We were here, like, meeting in the middle. And the fact of it was during the whole thing, it wasn't like I was ever gassing out. I was still moving on my toes all five rounds. And, again, that's something a lot of people can't do. And a lot of people get tired from trying to keep up with that movement. And the fact that by the end of the camp, our last bar, D.C. was able to keep up with that and see me moving, and it wouldn't change. No matter what he did, exactly what he was supposed to do, put the pressure on, and his cardio was looking phenomenal. So I'm excited to see what he put in, put in work Saturday. How do you feel like you did against him? I mean, I know a lot of these stories stay in the gym, but uh, do you feel like you, you, you hung with, uh, with him? I mean, he's one of the all-time greats. Oh, 100%. I feel, like I said, going with him was definitely an eye-opener for me to realize that I am one of the top in the world. There's a reason why I am where I am. This isn't by accident. I went out there, and we went at it, and he even said he went on video after our first part and said, yo, this man just gave me all the work. And he said, like, bro, that was fucking good work. There's no reason why you shouldn't be the 205 champ. Like, you are good. And that was the confidence I needed in myself. Yeah, that must mean a lot coming from him. I'm sure all your coaches all the time are telling you, you can be the champ at 205, but coming from Daniel Cormier, uh, that's a pretty good vote of confidence. A hundred percent. Like, I remember coming back and telling Ricardo that. That's what he told me after the first spawn. And Ricardo, he didn't seem surprised. He just turned around and was like, I've been telling you that since I met you, kid. Like, why is that so surprising? Like, you have what it takes. You just got to believe it and go out there and make it happen. And I'm ready now with a new platform and all this stuff, new field of health, and I'm just... I'm excited to go out there and put on the show and demonstrate what I can do. Do you feel like heavyweight could be a good spot for you also in Bellator? You look at what Bader's been able to accomplish there. Um, you mentioned, again, how fast you are. You walk around 230, 235. Might make, uh, might make sense to you know, put your foot in the water there. Oh, if I got the Bellator 205, I'm definitely up to it. I mean, that was the ideal of my mind in the UFC. If once I got the 205 belt, I would go up and fight heavyweight as well. The coaches said it before. Why don't you try heavyweight? Like, you, now that you're big, you got the size. You can definitely do it. I spar with heavyweights all the time and still have no problem taking them down and doing what I do. So it's definitely once I get the goal at 205, I'm open for it for sure. And having wrestling at, two, at uh, heavyweights is a lot different than having wrestling at 205. A lot of the heavyweights just don't know what they're doing in there in terms of wrestling. 100%. Heavyweights are just big guys that like wing and punch. They're putting their weight behind it, but they don't have the finesse of wrestling. You can wrestle, but there's a difference in having the finesse and being able to chain wrestle to get to one move to another move to get him to the ground and transition 
at heavyweight, they're a little slower, so it's a lot harder for those bigger guys to do that. And I have, like, look at Bader. He's smaller when he fought those heavyweights. So he has the ability to get them down and transition right to their back real fast before they can react. And I feel I can do the same, but better. Well, it's a fresh start in Bellator. Any chance you're bringing back Beaston 25-8? You know, I mean, it's a nickname that all the fans love. They would love for you to go back to it. You can bring it back, put it on your, on your actual shorts this time because you're in Bellator. Any thoughts on it? Uh, I think I'm going to stick to overtime, but now, as you said, I might put Beaston 25-8 on the shorts. It's still my brand. I sell shirts and hats and different stuff like that. And uh, that is still my brand. BC 258 is a company brand to fight name and just overtime. So like you said, I can put BC 258 across the shore still and still rep overtime. Well, I think we just had a good brainstorming session there. I mean, 258 is working overtime. So, you know, it, it works with the brand, like you said. So uh, you mentioned the word finesse. I think that's a great way to sum up your game. We look forward to seeing you in Bellator and uh, a fresh start for you at 205 uh, in Bellator MMA. Thank you, sir. We continue to introduce you to some of the top Canadian prospects not signed to a major organization in MMA right now. And Jasmine Jasadavishis is one of them uh, who will be competing for the CFFC uh, Strawweight Championship. Finally, a professional fight at your natural weight class. What took so long? You know, it's been a while. Uh, I've been struggling to find an opponent that will accept the fight at 115. And um, a lot of time it will be like I'll get a short notice call or something so I can't make 115 short notice. Um, so finally I'm able to, to lock it in for, uh, for something that at the right weight class. <laughs> Why was this the uh, promotion that you wanted to head to? Uh, I know that the Contender Series going on, your teammate Anthony Romero uh, is going to be competing on it. Uh, why CFFC? Um, you know, I really liked CFFC. I thought they are like a really awesome uh, promotion. And... Um, Obviously, if Contender Series gave, gave me an option, I would, I would go there or to try to make them both work. But uh, I like fighting for CFFC. My last fight was with, with them, and uh, they, they treat all the fighters really well and uh, put on such a great, great show. And, uh, yeah, I, just, I think that they're an awesome promotion. And one thing that's important to note is that every female champion in the history of CFFC has gone on to a, a career in the UFC. You've got Miranda Granger, you've got Caitlin Chukagian, uh, and I'm guessing that's obviously the goal. Yeah, that's the goal. I'm hoping to uh, continue that trend. And from what I understand, the, the big part of that goal is that your best friend is going to have to get a tattoo of you on their behind should you get signed to the UFC. That's right. Yeah, my friend Kylie. Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping, I, I can't wait to get the call, not only for myself, but to give her the call and be like, hey, guess what? Guess what's happening now? <laughs> well, you know the expression, you don't write checks that you can't cash. Yeah, exactly. It's so funny. Like, it's just become a thing now. Like, she's like, well, I guess I'm getting it. Like, she, <laughs> she just accepted it. All of our friends are like, they can't wait. And uh, her boyfriend's like, well, I guess you're getting another girl's face tattooed on you. So, <laughs> What you need to do is go on. There's a website called Fiverr where you can get people to design graphics for you. You should get somebody to draw your face and just give it to her and be like, here's the template for when it's time. Yeah, you know what? We, uh, we, we actually were like talking about that. So anyone that watches this, if they're good with art, maybe make <laughs> up. <laughs> you got your start uh, as a professional when you were 30 years old. Um, what, what took so long for you to, uh, you know, to debut in the sport? Um, you know, I just I never really knew too much about martial arts before. I never did it or anything. And um, I, yeah, I got a late start, but... 
it's nice because I don't have those like habits from kind of like the bad habits that you develop from when when you're younger you know you do something lazy and then it becomes like that's how that's how you're doing the technique so I've never had to break those bad habits before making new habits um I mean I that's one way of looking at it I mean uh the the experience obviously is is different and uh I'm always going to be going against girls with more experience than me but I don't have that wear and tear on my body like a lot of the other athletes do which is nice so I'm I'm still able to like push and do like two three practices a day if I need to and um yeah I don't I my my body's still holding up whereas a normal 31 year old maybe their body's broken down a little bit more than mine so how did this all get started um what was the uh, I guess the first domino in getting you started towards a journey in mixed martial arts. Uh, so I was with my boyfriend. He was going to uh, Prince Edward Island to help Jason Sago prepare for one of his uh, UFC fights. And um, he's a wrestling coach. So he's like, hey, do you want to come to PEI with me? And I'm like, yeah, of course. I love seafood. And like, I want to, I've never been out east. So uh, of course, yeah, I want to check it out. And then once we were there, I was watching the in the gym, and I'm like, oh, this actually looks really cool. Uh, after sparring the one day, then I'm like, hey, uh, maybe, like, let me try. And then they're like, you're not just jumping right into sparring. You've never done anything before. And um, so finally, after practice, and Jason's like, okay, I'll do some moving around with her. So um, I'm like trying my hardest. He's just playing with me. <laughs> and then afterwards, he's like, you know, you have a little bit of natural ability. Like if you uh, like start training, you might be able to make a run at this. And then so I went back. I started training a little bit more. I didn't I, not that I didn't believe what he said, but like, I mean, I was like, oh, I've never trained before. So I'm like, you know, I started training more, training more. And then we actually went to the event and uh, it was UFC Ottawa. And when we were there, I was like, holy, like, this is so awesome. Like, I can definitely see myself doing this. And then so after that weekend, then I came home, started training hard and haven't looked back since. So let's, let's rewind for a second here. Let's back up the truck. So how old were you when you went to PEI? And did you have any experience whatsoever? I was 25, 26 around. And... Um, <laughs> No experience prior. I played soccer before, volleyball, basketball, all that like kind of stuff, but uh, no martial arts experience. So you're dating a wrestling coach. Is that he's uh, he's still your boyfriend, if I'm not mistaken? And and yeah. um, so so you're dating a wrestling coach, and you have like no experience with this, and now suddenly you're like a top prospect in Canada. That's a pretty a pretty dramatic growth in in that amount of time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, just shows how important wrestling is, I guess. <laughs> Were you wrestling at that time prior to that? No, we uh, we met actually like through a friend of mine. She was uh, on a Tinder date with with some dude, and he was friends with her. And then so uh, that's how like we met. She brought me along because she was like scared to go alone, tricked me into it. But uh, yeah, we ended up meeting like through 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 them, and uh, yeah, it's been great ever since. That's like an absolutely crazy story because you, you meet him, you have no experience in combat sports at all, and uh, yeah. and and now you've become like this. That's un, that's pretty unbelievable. So you're not, you're an undefeated professional fighter now, and you're like well on your way to becoming a, a UFC fighter over the course of a couple of years. That's like that's a pretty cool story. 
yeah i mean i'm putting in the work i'm trying trying my hardest every day so i'm uh, i'm glad that it's starting to pay off for me so if not for like that one tinder date you may have never like even watched mma gotten into mma at all well, I mean, I, I watched it before. I was always, like, intrigued by it. Like, we in high school, we'd have, like, UFC nights where everyone would get together and watch the fights. But, uh, yeah, I never actually, like, got into it. But I would just be, like, the fan watching from the couch. But now I get to actually live it and experience it. So do you have, like, do you feel like you have a natural gift for uh, competing in, in, in sports in general and in, in martial arts? I, I think a little bit. I um I think I'm good with the nerves and I think I'm kind of like I'm good with like adversity. Like all of my camps prior to this one, I've had a pretty significant injury that's happened within the camp like three weeks out a lot of the time. And I'm, I'm able to kind of like block that out and like go into the fight feeling good and feeling Feeling as if it, I didn't have any injury at all, and um, yeah, I think I, I think when I uh, when I get under those lights, I feel at home. I feel like I can perform, and uh, I think that's where where my success is happening. People want people want to see that wiliness that I have inside of me. Yeah, well, it seems like a certain thing does click in because you're you're a very good pressure fighter. You like to to move forward and really not give your opponent room to breathe. Is that something that you learned over time, or is that something that just kind of clicked instinctually once you start fighting, like in an actual fight? I think that's more of an instinct. That whole uh, like mind, body, spirit. Like your your striking style matches your personality, and like even when I played soccer, I was always like kind of the pressure person, like get in there, make it get it like down and dirty kind of thing. Um, so I think that's just kind of my my natural, I guess, like state but uh i mean fighting obviously enhances it <laughs> recently we had the first uh, lithuanian born fighter to win a ufc fight um adeptus yeah. bukowskis became the first. yeah so is that something that you aspire to do as well? you are born in lithuania correct no i was actually born here i was born in canada yeah okay so you're like me my dad was born in lithuania and i'm born here yeah yeah both my parents they're both lithuanian so i'm uh through and through Lithuanian, but uh, but born here, yeah. Okay, but, cool. Yeah. So do it's, you do you bring both flags uh, when you're when you're fighting? You know, I don't bring any flags, but <laughs> I I always think when I see people walking out with flags that I should, but I don't know. I never think of it. By the time it's like fight week, I'm just like wanting to get in there. I'm not not really thinking of like the show or anything. I just <sighs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 just go time. I understand. Yeah. So uh, we've seen a lot of success uh, in the strawweight division of somebody with, uh, with two J's with their initials. Is that somebody that, uh, that you like to model your game after, Joanna uh, Jinjacek? Oh, yeah. She's, uh, she's awesome. She's a champ. Her and uh, Wei Li, both of them, I, I always like them checking out their, their Instagrams, like seeing what they're doing, making sure that I'm doing, try, try to be better than them. I mean, they, you know, I, um, they're both awesome fighters. Joanna Sick, she's had the title for so long and uh, yeah, obviously aspired to be like her. Her fight with Wei Li, where do you rank that in terms of all-time fights? Oh, that's like one of my favorite fights that I've ever seen. It's it's so good. They're they're both awesome fighters and it's like edgier seat the entire time. When you watch it, do you ever visualize like if I was in a fight like this over five rounds, you know, how would I react? Oh yeah, definitely. I think of that all the time. Like, 
it, whenever I'm in like sparring or I'm whatever I'm in uh, practice and it's like I'm stuck on the the bottom and I'm like I hear 10 seconds left and it's like I imagine like oh this is the end of the fight I've got Yohan on top of me or Whaley like I imagine one of them on top of me and I have to like build my way back up and like get the takedown or what, like, whatever it is I, I kind of like make a game plan and I have to execute it almost like against them even though it's my training partner but I imagine it's like them that makes sense <laughs> one thing that's really valued in terms of uh, the ufc is our finishes and your last two fights uh are consecutive first round finishes is that a trend that you hope to continue and, and a reputation that you want to build for yourself of course yeah I, I love getting the finish i love uh like it's a feeling after of like you know what if it's like tko ko submission whatever it is just getting the finish like that whole i don't get paid by the hour thing i i like to get in there and get it done and, uh, and finally, what do you know of your opponent uh, coming up at CFFC? Uh, so her name is Elise Reed. She uh, she has only had one. She's like one and zero professional, but she has had like she's nine and one amateur. So she's obviously more experienced than me, <laughs> which isn't surprising. But um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the fight. I'm super happy that. We're able to to actually do it with this whole COVID thing going on. It, no audience this time, but uh, it's sick that CFFC is putting on the show and uh, looking forward to getting in there with her. And do you have any good stories about Anthony? He's he's part of this uh, this group of five prospects that uh, that we've got uh, that we're going to be showcasing on TSN. Uh, anything anything interesting you can tell me about him? You know, Romero. He's like the sweetest guy in the world. He's so nice. He. Uh, I wish that I could, I had like a funny story about him or or something like that. But he's just always so like humble. He's like just a perfect person. Like you, there, there's nothing. He doesn't like mess up ever, like slip and fall or anything like that. He's he's just a really really good guy, and uh, I can't wait to see him uh, finally getting his shot. And he he's been looking awesome in the gym. Oh, I can't I can't believe it. It's gonna be so sick. Well, if TJ Laramie doesn't do it, he could become the first Canadian to win on the Contender Series, which would be a pretty cool uh, accomplishment. Yeah, I hope. I hope so. I, I mean, I hope Laramie wins as well. <laughs> <laughs> I want. I, I'm obviously more pulling for Romero. <laughs> All right, Jasmine. Well, it's a pleasure speaking with you, and uh, it's great to showcase a, a great unsigned prospect in MMA. Uh, I'm sure that your day will come, and uh, unfortunately, your, your best friend's uh, day will come as well. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. All right, and that'll wrap it up for this week's show. Appreciate you tuning into the interviews, and uh, we'll be back next week with, uh, with more of them and uh, more content. We'll uh, recap UFC 252. Uh, let's do a little housekeeping here, tsn.ca slash video. You can see a lot of the different features we've done this week, myself, Robin Black. Um, you can also uh, check out the interviews uh, that you just listened to if you want to watch the video component of them. Feel free. Uh, and then, of course, prior to UFC 252, I will be on Periscope with uh, Dan Tom as we uh, do a, a little Periscope preview live uh, on, uh, on Twitter and Periscope right before the, uh, the fights get started, before the first prelim fight. So you can check that out as well. And uh, then, of course, next week we will recap UFC 252 on the show. Appreciate you tuning in, and uh, we'll see you then.